This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 10th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat, and I tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please find me at Home Bodies Yoga on Facebook and Instagram. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Well, hello from my closet. Uh, another day here in gray winter Chicago. I I shouldn't say that. It's gray today, but we did have like a couple sunny days recently. Cold, but sunny. So I actually shouldn't complain too much. Um speaking of complaining (laughs) no so this week my practice has been interesting because I slipped and fell going down the stairs I know I'm totally fine it was like so random I was just like in my socks and I slipped and I fell instead of like on the cushy part of my butt I fell like on my tailbone which unpleasant really in a lot of ways it was like one of those things where I like involuntarily started crying for no reason you know like where it's like just pain and surprise so tears just come to your eyes and I like somehow banged my elbows too it was real it was a real traumatic fall (laughs) um yeah so it's been interesting to see how my practice has been affected um yeah I I think this is probably a really common experience but it feels uh it feels very like obviously it feels much stronger in in myself because I'm inside myself but I like really flip out when there's something wrong with me like when there's like an injury like I'm not a hypochondriac like I don't think things are wrong with me when there aren't but when I have like even a small injury or like a small thing sickness whatever I like lose it because I don't know there I guess I think part of it is obviously like a fear of mortality like oh no I'm like chipping away but I think the other part is I've worked really hard to know my body and when uh something is different in my body I kind of freak out because it feels like I've lost that maybe that's what it is I don't know but I like lose my mind when something is wrong so even this like little tailbone injury or whatever it was bad bruise I was like you know spinning mind and just like trying to do the things I usually do and of course it being different um so on what was that the next day I like go you know I'm like okay well let's like try a little cardio so I like get on the spin bike and immediately I was like this isn't right (laughs) like this isn't gonna work like um I'm sitting on my butt and obviously that's the part of pain and then I you know try to do like some core work but like then you're kind of seated so like that doesn't work and I was like okay obviously I need to do some yoga and instead of you know so for the both of those other things I was sort of trying to kind of partition off my injury and just work things around it and in the yoga practice I feel like I I'm like it, it it's necessary to feel the connection of your whole body together in order to for me to really practice I actually talk about this in the interview today a little bit with Olivia but I I so I in order you know in order to like do something physical I was like okay I guess I have to do a yoga practice which meant I had to be really present with this 
injury, quote unquote. And of course, that's really what I needed because then I realized like, oh, what happened was when I fell, all of the muscles around the place that I fell kind of tightened up to protect me. So like I kind of stretched those out and let them soften a little bit and like, oh, you know, maybe part of the reason I fell is because I was sore. So like really getting the back of my legs and my calves a little more open and like, oh, maybe I could use a little glute strengthening. Like maybe that would have helped, you know, hold me up a little better. So I did a little glute strengthening and just like really was present with my body and really was present with the way that my body is connected. And actually, I think it's a better way to look at it. And I hope I remember this next time. Maybe saying it out loud will help me. But instead of thinking of like, oh, gosh, this part of me is broken. And now I need to uh, try to like, I hope it doesn't affect all the rest of my parts. Like I hope my broken whatever my injured tailbone doesn't hurt my legs. And I hope I can still work those or so I can still, you know, whatever, do my core work. And instead, I was just kind of like, oh, like, actually, the rest of my body is here to help this injury. Like, the rest of my body is just trying to protect me. And instead of, you know, avoiding this place in me, I should kind of go into it and allow, you know, the rest of my body to support me. So I did this, like, pretty long yoga practice. And afterward, I really felt much better. Like, of course, not totally cured. Like, that's not the way things work. But definitely much better. Uh, and it was reminding me of this Iyengar quote. Um, it was from Iyengar's most recent book, uh, Light on Life. Light on Yoga is like kind of the famous one, which I really recommend checking out both. Um, but he wrote, yoga allows you to rediscover a sense of wholeness in your life where you do not feel like you are constantly trying to fit the broken pieces together. I think about this quote like so often um because I feel like so much of the time when I'm unhappy or uh in unwell or in pain or or whatever feeling unhealthy it's because I feel like there's just all of these broken pieces and I'm trying to like smash them together (laughs) obviously uh well I don't know I just said obviously but I've been doing puzzles because whatever we're home And, you know, when you're trying to get, like, two pieces that don't fit together, but you're like, they must fit, and they don't fit. (laughs) And it's such a different experience than when you get two pieces that fit. And I think with the yoga practice more and more, I'm realizing what it does for me is it just, like, makes me feel like the pieces in my life fit. Um. And I think it really, for me, I'm such a physical learner and physical person. It really starts with the physical practice, the asana practice, because in the asana practice, there's this sense of your whole body being one that your, you know, left inner heel is connected all the way up to like your left, you know, fourth finger or whatever. And if I'm really practicing right, I can feel that my body is this one you know this many connected machine like all of these puzzle pieces put together I can feel you know the way that the pinky toe is attached to the pinky finger and for some reason this sense of like my body feeling connected really helps me feel more connected to my life and I guess maybe it's because uh, metaphors make the most sense to me when they're physical. <laughs> I don't know. I think yoga really is a physical metaphor. And I think in somewhere in the way back, deep, deep part of my brain, I can connect to that metaphor in um, 
in a way that I, it's harder for me to do just intellectually. And I've noticed actually that a lot of yogis, a lot of people I know who really like yoga have that same kind of brain. I don't know, the same connection. Um, like I'm not an artist, but I know a lot of artists who also love yoga. And I think it's something, I don't know, it's something to do with that. Um, yeah. And I am really excited for you to hear this interview with Olivia Sachs today because she has, she is a both really embodied physical experience um, of yoga, but then also a really intellectual one. And she, well, it's hard for me to talk about her because she's like one of my really, really good friends and I love her so much. Um, but she uh, has this like almost childlike innocence about the yoga practice and curiosity but also like really really lots of critical thinking that um that somehow doesn't mar that innocence um and just wonder at the practice so we really (laughs) I mean we really nerd out about the yoga practice and you can just uh you can probably tell how much we both love chatting about it with each other but um Uh, yeah I think it's a really it's really good to hear her perspective because she is so yeah she just has this this two sides thing where she's like has this wonder and innocence and then also this like real critical view and really um well thought out uh honestly well-researched perspective so here is Olivia Sachs welcome Olivia thanks so much for being here yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I'm really glad that we could do this. Same. Um, so can you just tell our audience a little bit about what you're doing these days? In practice, in life? Oh, good question. Let's do in life first. Okay, so I am a surgical resident in Boston, which means that I am a doctor training to be a surgeon. Um, and so I work all the time. Uh, around 80 hours a week, or that's like supposed to be our hourly limit for the week is 80 hours. Um, I often work 19 days at a time. Um, Right now, there's about 100 COVID patients in our hospital. um, And I've actually been on a month of research. So I haven't been there for that, but I go back next week. So um, I actually imagine that I will not be a surgical resident when I go back, but I might be a COVID resident, which I have never done before, um, and which I imagine the yoga practice will help me with. Wait, okay, before we go into your practice, I, so they don't tell you until what you just show up one day and they're like, you'll be in COVID, like you won't know until you go or... Well, we got a weird email yesterday. That's funny you say that because you got a weird email that was like, we might have to pull you in to do COVID stuff because we think that we're going to have a peak at the end of January, but no one's being pulled in yet. So it was sort of like this get ready, buckle up kind of thing, but nothing has been told to us specifically. Wow, really? <laughs> they really leave you in the um, unknowing land. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think partly they might not know because yeah. it seems like at the capacity they're at right now, they're able to manage it with just the medicine residents. But if uh, like more people get admitted with COVID, then they, you know, they might be over capacity or something like that. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So definitely need a yoga practice for a life like that. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what your practice is like? 
Yeah. So, um, my practice has changed a lot because I started surgical residency in June. And prior to that, I had like a three year long, pretty dedicated Ashtanga practice. And beyond the Ashtanga practice, I had like this very, like, I kind of, the way I sort of describe it is that the stronger practice was for my mind, but because it's such an intensely physical practice, I had this like whole other physical practice to support the stronger practice that was like Pilates and like chin-ups and all this stuff at the gym all the time. And so I just had a very um, organized, intense, long physical practice for many years. You cross-trained for your yoga practice. Kind of like that's, that's what I ended up having to do because I felt like the Ashtanga practice was so good for my mind. The five breaths per pose uh, is just so grounding and the doing the same thing every day is so grounding, but I started to get really, especially when I was just practicing primary series, I started to get really strong in my upper body and kind of tight in my traps. And I was, I was just very top heavy And I I realized that was like partly because of the practice and all of the jump throughs. And so I sort of started to work on like a strength practice in my legs and had a back bend without pain, which I think is like something we should talk about more in yoga in general. It's like back bending without pain because a lot of people have pain when they back bend. Yeah, we do. We do wheel like every class um, in like a, you know, big vinyasa class, like you might do wheel pretty much every time. Um, and a lot of people I think have pain. So like, I, I kind of started to like adjust my practices around yoga to accommodate the Ashtanga practice to be able to do it without pain. Um, can we talk about backbending without pain? Cause I, I, you guys might not know this, but Olivia was also a yoga instructor and I completely agree. Um, I almost every single class after a wheel, you see people sort of cringing in their bodies, <laughs> like either like hugging their knees in or like it just, it doesn't look pleasant for many people. And honestly, backbends are not always pleasant for me. So what helped you, uh, what helped you to be more comfortable backbending? Yeah. So Yes, backbends are a very interesting thing to talk about. Um, and I I think there are some people who, and I, I've always thought of you as this kind of person um, who are like natural backbenders. And then there are some people who are like naturally good at other things. Um, and uh, I, the way that I see like my own pain in backbending is sort of like my lumbar spine and pelvis weren't stable enough, but my upper back was tight, particularly like, as I was saying, when I was doing a lot of primary series, like I was so strong in my upper body, but that kind of made me stuck like between my shoulder blades. So in my thoracic spine. And, uh, and so what I think I was just initiating the back bend from my lumbar spine and not really moving in my chest. And that was what was causing pain. And I think that's what causes a lot of people pain because of this, like, this is our working position. And what I'm doing audience now is like, I'm kind of hunching my shoulders forward and bringing my neck forward. Like I'm looking at my cell phone and that sort of position is very, um, antithetical to backbending, right? Yeah. Which I think is one of the reasons that backbending feels so good to like the other half of the population that it will do a wheel, even if you don't instruct a wheel every single class and, and it is important, but yeah, I definitely, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, the, 
it's interesting because the primary series, I, for those of you who don't know, the primary series in Nashtanga has a lot of chaturangas, a lot of vinyasas, but it's a lot of forward folds. So really it's like all forward folds. Yeah, yeah. Not that many opportunities to open your upper back during the primary series. In the second series, there are, I think more, but the first series, not really. Is that yeah. right? I haven't done the primary series yeah. in a while. Yep. So the way, like, God, both See, even though, and I'll talk about my practice, like my current practice in a bit, but even though my current practice is not like hardcore shtangi anymore, like I just still love the primary and second series so much. Um, The primary series is like pretty much all forward folding and it's a lot of strength building because you do vinyasas between each um, forward fold. Um, And you know, it doesn't have a lot of backbending, but what you learn in the primary series is how similar twisting is to backbending. So there's a lot of twisting in the primary series where you have to keep your hips stable. And so, for example, if you're doing like Pavrita Parshvokanasana, if you're doing uh, like revolved side angle pose, what we usually do in like, you know, a a regular vinyasa class in the 20th century is are just the ball of our foot is on the ground. So we're in a high lunge, right? And then we like come into prayer and then we twist to one side. But when you do that, or when I do that, because I'm, I'm sort of loose in my pelvis, I can sort of move my hips. And so then like, I'm kind of twisting from my pelvis, which is fine. But I think that when you have to do it, when you're in like a, say like a warrior one and your back leg is down and then you twist from there, your hips have to stay in a neutral position. And so then you have to twist from your thoracic spine and that twisting is, has the energy of a back bend. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of that twisting in the primary series. Yeah. I used to have a teacher. I don't even, it might've been Andy Carpenter who in in like a high lunge twist or even um, really a seated twist, she would say, pretend you're doing, or Ukatasana twist, she would say, pretend you're doing bridge pose in your upper back. So that makes a lot of sense. Like there is actually, yeah, a lot of opening in the upper back in a twist. So I guess in that way, it prepares you for backbending. Yeah. And this like, so this actually leads me to something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is like, both of those twists are right. Like whether or not mm-hmm. your back leg, your back foot is down or up, like they are both right. And I've had this interesting experience now because, so I'm not strong enough. So with my schedule, I cannot do the same physical practice that I was doing. And it's been really a hard and sad thing for me to have to let go of my physical practice. But that's also like part of yoga, right? Like my yoga is like a yoga in action now. Like I try to bring the same discipline and commitment that I brought to my Ashtanga practice, like to the hospital, because that's where my life is. Um, my life isn't at home and, and it's not even really in my body right now. It's in my mind. And so like my practice is abbreviated at home and I'm just blatantly not as strong as I was. And, uh, and so I've had to adjust my practice. And through that, I've started working with this studio called, or I, I don't work there, but I, I have teachers there. Their name, the studio name is Boston Yoga Union. And there's these teachers, like I think Tim Kelleher and Emily Tavald, and they're so great. They own the studio. And 
Emily does a lot of Katoni yoga and she teaches a lot of Katoni yoga and I had never experienced Katoni yoga before, but like, I'm now recognizing it's like the antithesis of Ashtanga. Um, and so I've, I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion that all ways to do a pose are right. And we should probably be able to do poses in all different ways, just in order to give us more insight into our bodies and our experience of our bodies. I totally agree with that. Um, I, it's funny, the longer I do yoga, the more I've been on all sides of every yoga argument, (laughs) like, oh, oh, you should twist with your pelvis. You shouldn't twist with your pelvis. Like, oh, you need props. Oh, don't use any props. Like I have done, I've no yoga mat at all. You don't need anything. You know, I've done all of the different, uh, ways, but yeah, I do think also, I think, there's a camp of yogis now who have a lot of, it almost feels like fear of poses where they're like, don't do that. Like, don't go from a close to an open pose. Cause I don't know what can happen. And for me, what I want, what I like in my yoga practice is trust. I like, I like it that my yoga practice helps me trust my body. So to have this like sense of fear around movement, it really turns me off. Honestly, it's like, that's the only thing I, I, I'm not interested in pursuing is like this sense of like being afraid of trying something like, of course, try it safely. And of course, if it hurts, don't do it. But like, you know, we should be able to try things. <laughs> and that's the, it's the energy that you bring to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you bring fear, like, and I could say for, for myself right now, like when I do wheel, I bring a little fear into wheel <laughs> these days because it's hard for me and it's caused me pain in the past. Right. And, and I, you know, I still do it and I do it safely, but but when you bring that, I'm trying to change that my dialogue with myself around wheel pose, for example, because when you bring that fear, you bring that energy into the pose, it's going to be there, right? And so then you don't, you're not fully there for it. Um, but I think that, uh, I think, what was I going to say? Oh, I think that my movement practice. So I had this movement practice with when I was doing my Ashtanga and I still kind of have it, but like, there's, there's all this stuff and it's sort of starting to like enmesh with yoga. Like Mark Roberts is an Ashtangi that does a lot of movement stuff. He's kin stretch certified, um, Carling harps, who is like Patrick Beach's partner. She does kin, she's kin stretch certified now. So I did a lot of kin stretch in the past. And that actually is one of the things that really helped me find stability in my pelvis and the ability to move from my thoracic spine. Um, and one of like the principles of at least Ido Portal's movement stuff, which I didn't get as much into, but, uh, I had friends that did is like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't like internally rotate your knee all the time, but like, you should be able to do that because if you were in like a fight or you were in the forest or you were like, you know, in some kind of stressful real situation that humans aren't in, you know, a lot now, you want to be able to move in all different ways, you know, just not repetitively in the same way. That's bad. Right. Definitely. If you, I mean, even now you step out of your, on your front, out of your front door and you slip, like you want to be able to catch yourself in all different directions. Right. So like, so so you don't want to, be, you know, you know, be so afraid to move in one way that then you slip on the ground and you're like, so stuck in this one way that you get hurt. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think a lot of the conversation around yoga, and this is a tangent that we don't need to go down, but I'll just say this one thing is has a lot to do with the fact that it's really easy to get certified these days. So a lot of students, new teachers learn these hard and fast rules because they're just things that might hurt their students. So they learn these very strict hard rules so that they can be teachers faster you know, in only 200 hours, and then they don't have to worry as much, you know, if they follow these rules, they don't have to be thoughtful about their sequencing, because they just follow the rule and follow the sequence they were taught. Um, so I, I think that has to do with it a lot, actually. Um, yeah, it's like the yoga industrial complex. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, because the yoga industrial complex has been kind of compromised by the pandemic, right? There's all like all of these core power yogas in Boston are closed. And like, and, and so it will be interesting to see how yoga is re- reborn after the pandemic, but I definitely don't think there's a need for those teachers as much anymore, right? Because as many people, like you could have, like when I go to Eddie Stern's Ashtanga classes on Zoom, he's got like hundreds of people in there and he could never teach hundreds of people unless he had like a huge gymnasium otherwise, which like, you know, he didn't in New York City. Um, so it just, it, I think it changes people's access. And that's been something really uh, so nice for me because I started practicing Ashtanga exactly because of what you said. I, I lived in a rural area that didn't have a lot of yoga t- teachers and I felt like the yoga teachers in the area didn't practice. And I just couldn't take class from a person that I felt like didn't practice and I could tell from their teaching. And so I needed sort of a home practice. And there was one teacher I met up there uh, Christina Tangretti, she teaches, she still teaches up there and she teaches on Zoom. She's like this like amazing handstand artist, can do anything, was like at the end of third series in Ashtanga, but oh. she had this like 12 year Ashtanga practice. And I was like, how did you do this? You know, like, how do you have this disciplined home practice? This is before the pandemic. And it turns out there was like happened to be like a level two certified Ashtanga teacher who had just had a baby who was in that rural area. And so we like started practicing at Christina's house and it was just three of us actually, uh, it was this woman named Mary. She was like this older woman that had this incredible, incredibly strong, strong Ashtanga practice. It was me, I was a total beginner. And then it was Christina. And we only met like once every two weeks or so um, because, you know, our teacher, Stacy, she had a new baby. And so, um, I like developed this practice on my own. And really the reason why I did that was because of this like lack of teachers, but then the pandemic, like then in March, right. Um, I, I started practicing with all of these people from like all over the world. And every Wednesday, for example, like in March, I would practice with this amazing teacher from the Ashtanga Center in Carlsbad. And she does this like intro to a second series class for Ashtanga that was amazing because it wasn't only second series. It was like all of the strength and flexibility you needed to get into second Mm -hmm. series. And so anyway, it's like I had all these teachers from all over, even though I was like in my rural area. So that's been a really fun part of the pandemic. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm like excited to see what this all, how this will all shake out at the end, you know, when we all have vaccines, how the yoga industrial complex will shake out. It'll be, I think, really interesting. Um, wait, though, so I had a very similar experience with Ashtanga where I learned it like in the back of a, a bookstore in Mission Mission and just like met people there and we would do it Don't in silence. Don't you love that about Ashtanga? Sorry to interrupt. No, yeah, Ashtanga is always like a little- 
yeah, it's like always a little like in the back, like quiet. It's really early in the morning. You like show up in the dark and you're cold, you know, it's like cold. Like we could see our breath. And then the only sound in the room is the breath of the other people. Like there is something about Ashtanga that I see it's like intoxicating. It really is. Um, yeah. Uh, but I wanted to ask you actually, what, what does Ashtanga do for you, for your mind? Like, yeah. Ashtanga gets such a bad rap. I've been thinking about this a lot going on the podcast because everyone's going to think I'm like this insane person because I do Ashtanga and like with the whole Patabi Joyce thing. But the thing that was so interesting about my Ashtanga practice is like, I think if Patabi Joyce saw my Ashtanga practice, he'd be like, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Right. Because I didn't grow up like I didn't go to a shala like or you know grow up in my ashtanga practice going to a shala every morning the way that like the traditional practice is done I as I said we met with our teacher maybe twice a month and then it was just me on my mat and that was so such a powerful experience for me to really get to know myself and get to know my own practice because I had been practicing at that point for probably 10 years, but did I really know the practice? I felt like, so that's one thing that Ashanga has really helped me learn is like what the practice is for, what the poses are for and how to breathe in them. So it's like, you know, you said something to me a few months ago, or maybe a few weeks ago, but you were like, oh, like Ashtanga is really good if you're like trying to progress to the next pose. And actually like, that's not at all how I experienced it. And I think partly because no one was watching me. So it was like, who cares? Like, you know, if like a kapotasana happens in a room by yourself, did it even happen? Like, yeah. does it even matter? Oh, right? oh it happened. You text me the minute. I'd love I'm to hear sure about I it. I would text you. just like, that's the thing. It's like, when you're in the room by yourself, does Kapotasana matter? No. And by the way, everybody, like I was, I could only ever do Kapotasana on the yoga wheel, never got there. And that's fine. Right. And I, you know, and, and so I think that I think that this idea of like needing the, the whole Ashtanga, like militaristic mentality of like progressing and needing to, to get better and do more and put your leg behind your head. I never really experienced. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like, well, okay. There's so many things I could say about Ashtanga because I love it, but (laughs) it's like you get better at the easy stuff and you get deeper in the easy stuff. Like, you know, like revolved triangle becomes so nuanced when you do it every day for three years, right? That pose has so much intellectual texture for me because of how much I did it by myself. And it was like, well, if I move my pelvis this way, what will it feel like? If I, if I, you know, lock out my leg, what will it feel like? If I bend my knee, what will it feel like? You do these poses in every single way. Just, I, that's what I would do to keep it interesting for myself. And so I got to know them so well. And, oh, it's just so fun. It's just so fun to learn your body and learn the poses in that way. And I think, I mean, I think I totally agree with everything you're saying. I think you're being like a little bit modest because there is definitely a sense of rigor, even if you're not trying to get to the next pose, but to unroll your mat every day alone and do this sequence by yourself for, I mean, up to 90 minutes is an accomplishment. Like it's, it it definitely, I know it gave me a sense of like discipline for sure. Um, that I, 
I think is actually wonderful, especially when in my early twenties, like that's exactly what I needed. Like just someone to say like, this is what you do every day. Like, thank God, somebody telling you what to do, you know? Yeah. Like that's all I and wanted. I think for, for me, like it prepared me to be a surgical resident because I, you know, you wake up early, you do it. Like mm -hmm. it is like very disciplined in this way. And like, now I wake up really early and I like do all this hard stuff throughout the day. And you know, even like the practice of surgery, right? Like the, you do, when you do a hernia repair, like with one surgeon, you, they do it the same way every single time. And what does that sound like? That's the Shanga practice. And so in some ways, I think that I was practicing for this experience of being a surgical resident. And now, even though I like suck at Supta Kermasana, I don't know if I'll ever get back to a point where I can bind or, you know, something like that with one of the harder poses. Okay. Well, I lost that, but I've probably gained this ability to focus and, um, and understand dailiness in a way that serves me in my life now. Oh, great. So that's actually a great lead in. So let's talk a little bit about how you've had to shift your practice or evolve your practice since you're working 80 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. And I, you insist on sleeping. So, I mean, <laughs> I know I do. Um, I love sleeping at least four uh, hours you, or something. I'm sure there's like, you don't know what it's like to, to like sleep, to like value sleep until you fit me. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so basically I, came to realize before I even started surgical residency that the amount of physical practice I was doing, I was not going to be able to sustain. Um, and, and I, I had let it go. Like I, I, I had the experience in, in meditation of being like, you know what, like this can't be an attachment for you. Like you need to let this go. And right. Because when yoga becomes an attachment, and you're like, oh, I have to do this thing in order to feel good, then it's like, that's not the purpose of the practice, right? And so I was sort of like, well, the practice should shift throughout my life, and it has. And so it needs to be able to grow with me into this new experience. And I just don't practice as much as I used to. Um, and, you know, it's a huge privilege to be able to practice as much as I used to. I think that most people not only don't have the time, but also don't have the bandwidth. And that's really what I'm experiencing is I'm short on time. I have like two and a half or three hours before, you know, between when I get home and when I go to bed and, you know, I'm waking up so early, it's hard to wake up earlier to practice. And so the question is, is like, you know, when you're not meeting, like you're like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like if I like haven't had sleep and I I haven't had food and like, you know, I haven't self-soothed at all. Like it's okay to not want to prioritize my yoga practice. Like I think those are important things too. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, <laughs> you've got to eat and sleep. Like those are pretty bare bones, <laughs> but that's like the, that's the majority of people in the world. And I think that you know, that's why like all, you know, even all of this talk about like revolved triangle comes from such a profound place of privilege. Um, and I'm, I recognize that. Um, so anyway, when I'm working all the time, I can't practice all the time. Um, if I get home by six o'clock, I now will often take a class with these people at Boston Yoga Union. And it, 
it's really, I love Zoom classes much more than recorded classes because there's the dialogue. And especially at Boston Yoga Union, like I've never met any of them in person, but they know me. And like, they, they're like, and it's funny because they're trying to break me of my Ashtanga habits, which I really appreciate. So it's like, Emily's always like, bend your knees and downward facing dog. And in the beginning, I'm like, you know, I don't want to do that. It feels so much better to have my knees straight because that's what I've been doing for three years. And I've slowly come to realize that like being able to do it both ways, like being able to get on my mat and do a shtanga and like lock my legs out and then being able to get on the mat and like bend my knees, that is probably a more healthy practice. And so or like Tim, the other teacher always tells me to like lengthen my stance, which is so hard. And it's like not ever what I did in the Shanga. And, and so, so they're breaking me of my habits, which I appreciate. So I, I do yoga with them. And one thing I've really appreciated about the Katoni yoga influence that Emily brings in is this idea of like stability, because I think that you know, I, so when I started my research month this past month, I like, I did a shanga, I did primary series, my half primary, my first day back and, you know, like out of, out of, uh, out of my clinical duties. And I really hurt my, my neck. Like I was going to pick my partner up in the car and I like went to put the seatbelt on. I'm like, oh crap, like my neck really hurts. And, and so I, I kind of hurt, like I kind of, I, I realized that my body couldn't sustain the Ashtanga practice anymore. Anyway, I've been talking for a long time. Do you want to ask me a question? Or? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, no, that I know it's hard when you're good friends to do this. Cause you're like, I feel, but this is the whole point. You talk, I listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but, uh, but yeah, but so, so I was like, not strong. I, I, I knew at that moment, I'm like, okay, Olivia, you are not strong enough to like do, you know, I think it was like to do Marichiasana D and like, you're like, you know, 30 breaths of headstand anymore. Like you need to build up to that. And so Emily at Boston Yoga Union is always emphasizing stability, particularly pelvic stability and like leg stability. And that's always what I'm lacking. And that's always what causes my back pain. And so it's really helpful to practice with them and sort of take those basic principles and build strength, honestly, because that's, that's what I need. If I want to be able to like do my Ashtanga practice, which lately has been feeling so great, it, I need to, I need to work for it essentially, sort of like what I was doing before. And uh, she teaches a chairs class once a week. And I love it because I it doesn't matter if I haven't practiced in one week, I can go to this chairs class and the chair helps put me in a position where I do the pose correctly, or like I find the sensation in the body that I want to find. And I find the alignment that I want to find using the chair. And I might not have been able to find that otherwise because I'm weak, you know? Oh, so in that way, it sounds like a Tony yoga makes the feeling of Ashtanga more accessible. Yeah. And it helps. It, it, it's like my entry point back into my body. And I'm like, okay, I remember how this feels now. I remember how like, you know, keeping my pelvis level in a high lunge feels now. And then you can take those lessons outside of it, you know? Um, and, and I also just appreciate a type of yoga that is feels so fundamentally centered around self-care 
and so fundamentally centered around like, yeah, it's, it's a caring practice. And I really need that, you know, where Ashtanga can be really sort of, um, it, people like to say that it's the opposite of a caring practice, which I personally never found, but I, again, I practice by myself. So like Patavi Joyce wouldn't like my Ashtanga probably, but, but, you know, it's really nice to like do a chairs class and feel like you don't have to ever get stronger or more flexible than you are at that given moment. It just feels good to be in your body for that hour, basically. That sounds great. Yeah. I remember I was pregnant in an Ashtanga class and they don't do prenatal yoga. (laughs) And I had two blocks and the teacher came over and took them away. She's like, you don't need these. I was like, so definitely different, like definitely not like, especially classic Ashtanga is not this, it's not the same sense of being supported. I think you're supported by your own breath in a, in a really wonderful way, but that sense of like being cared for sounds like exactly what you need right now. That sounds really great. Yeah. It's really nice. And by the way, right now, my Ashtanga practice is definitely has two blocks because I, my jump throughs suck right now. Right. So, and it was really interesting because Deepika Mehta, who is the partner of Mark Roberts, Mark Roberts is like a very cool Ashtangi if anyone's interested, because he is a kin, as I said, he's like a kin stretch Ashtangi. So he's like learned how to do these poses in his body without pain. He's learned how to like use his body in this incredible way. Um, but his wife just had a baby and she restarted her Ashtanga practice with blocks. And I always think of myself as postpartum. I'm like, well, basically I'm like so, so much weaker now in my like Mula Banda and Uddiyana Banda that I'm like post a postpartum person teaching myself how to hold everything in because that the whole jump through situation in Ashtanga is this like sucking up and it's Mula Banda and Uddiyana Banda. Like you realize that every forward fold is just belly like it's just your belly sucking you towards your leg it's not pulling yourself towards your leg by the way also you can think of Hansen as a forward fold in that way same it's the same feeling like Uttanasana is the same feeling as a handstand. Honestly, it's the pull of, except it pulls your legs up instead of, I think. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and yeah, so I, you know, I, I love, I've, I've realized that I just want to be like a yoga tourist my whole life, or like maybe tourist is the wrong word, but like yoga traveler. And I want to visit like every state in like the nation of yoga. And I want to do it their way. Like, and I want to learn why people love doing things in the way that they do things and then put it all together and find whatever works best for me. Um, but you know, it's so interesting. Cause like, obviously yoga has changed my life. It's changed your life. It just is like the, it's just the center of me at this point. Right. It's, it's the way that I find myself and exist within myself. And it's also the way that I've like learned to love everyone and everything. Um, it's like built this compassion in me that is just now such an important part of my life. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's funny to think that something as simple as like using a chair, right? Like using a chair when you do yoga, like builds compassion in your life. Like, how does that work? I think honestly, our bodies are so, they're such a, I think, when someone is telling us what to do with our bodies, it's a very emotional state. I do. Like, I think it's, it's vulnerable too. And when somebody says it the right way or uses the right prop or you're feel supported, I, 
it's it absolutely can be life-changing. Um, yeah. when I was mentor, when I was mentoring, I would be like, be careful the words you use because people listen so much harder when you're, when it has to do with their bodies. Cause we have so much shit around our bodies, you know, like, and it's what we travel in and it's everything, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It is everything. It's like, it is what we travel in. And I think it's just like, such a nice thing to be able to feel it and, and exist inside of it. And I've really like come to appreciate that so much because I, I do it less now. Um, yeah. The other really nice thing about chair yoga too, if anyone hasn't been practicing or like the pandemic has made your practice feel like you're, you know, like you're not doing it or you feel sometimes I'll feel nostalgic for poses. I, that used to be easy that aren't easy anymore. Um, but there's no nostalgia with chair yoga, right? Like if you're new to it, it's like being a big, it's completely being a beginner starting from the very beginning. And there is something so freeing about that. I love being a beginner. Like I have no reference point. I don't know what it feels like to feel good at chair yoga. So I can't think back and be like, oh, my job through used to be so much better two years ago or whatever it is, you know? That is such a good pro tip. Uh, I completely agree. If you're ever like wanting to get back into something, but you haven't done it well, try something slightly different because it really is. And it's it's so nice to say like, oh no, I don't know what you mean. Sorry. Can you explain it? Like (laughs) it's so nice. It's so funny because she'll teach things in chair yoga. And I'm like, I, she says the words and I don't understand what to do in my brain. And I have to look at the monitor and it's such a, that's such a nice feeling because when, you know, when I go to vinyasa class, the language is so familiar to me. So it's nice to be like, to be a, a foreigner in a new land. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's actually like one of the best tips. I think postpartum, that's why I got more into like Pilates. Cause I was like, well, at least I don't know what I could have done. <laughs> also yeah, I needed exactly. it, but exactly. um, So, uh, okay. So let's say you don't have time for a class. Like you only have like 20 minutes and you, but you want to practice. What, what are you doing then? So first of all, sometimes I just like do spinning or like do the class, like, which I, I think is like funny and I like it because you just like dance around like a maniac for 20 minutes. And sometimes that's what I need. Right. So sometimes I don't do yoga at all, but I just do something that puts me in my body And then by the end of it, I'm usually able to like find like, you know, five or 10 minutes to sit or five or 10 minutes to like do a yoga practice. But sometimes I need a way in that's like sweaty and crazy and, you know, I don't know, uh, upbeat. And I, in some ways it's like more bang for your buck because I I find it hard to get that much done in 20 minutes in a yoga practice. Mm -hmm. And, and it always leaves me wanting more, but if I do yoga, Um, I'll usually just start primary series and like see where it takes me, right? I'll start the standing series. So standing series starts with five sun A's and three sun B's. I mean, uh, people do different variations. You can do three and three. If you don't have a lot of time, you can do however many you want. But the purpose of the sun salutation is just to get warm. So like if you start there and if I can force myself to do that, I'm winning. Like then if I just do that and I sit for like five minutes, I'm like, okay, I won today. Like yeah. I just go home and like go right to the fridge, you know? <laughs> three sun bees is, it's no matter how many times it's you hard. do it, three sun bees is hard. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how often you've been doing it. Yeah. it As um, someone who, who like dedicated daily <laughs> practice, like 
sunbees never get easier. There's certain things that never get easier, uh, no matter how much you do them. Kind of like I always felt that way about revolved uh, Parge Bokanasana, like revolved extended side angle, like the reaching of the arm forward out of the hip is so challenging, right? Like you have to have so much side strength to be able to do that. And that's part of the intelligence of this practice, right? Is like, if you just spin every day or you, you know, I don't know, go running every day, like, are you ever really lifting your hands above your head? Are you really stretching and strengthening your side body? Like there's so much that we, I think we take for granted in the physical practice of yoga that makes us so stable in our lives. I, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, when you were, I wanted to talk about, uh, oh, when you were talking about how it it's the energy you bring to wheel is fear. I think mm-hmm. it's also true. Like you have, like one thing I have to do is like not bring the energy of dread to things, <laughs> which I, which that's a, that's one thing about the primary series is you really get, go through that in your head. Cause you'll think about it and be like, no, I know I'm going to have to do it. There's no way around it. There'll be three sun bees. They'll be there. <laughs> no, they're definitely going to be revolved. Like the, you know, and I think it was really good for you to just sort of, I think what yoga did for me is like build up a tolerance to knowing something uncomfortable is about to happen or being uncomfortable for a few minutes because now honestly there are poses I find unpleasant but there's no pose where I'm like I hate it I won't do it really like you know like I feel like you just kind of get used to it yeah it's the so this is a very um that is a topic that I love to talk about because I taught yoga to the medical students at my medical school for four years and they probably hate me because my primary message to them, I would always try to make them feel uncomfortable. Like basically the purpose of the class was like to force them to be uncomfortable and then to be in that discomfort because doing medical school is really hard. Being a doctor is really hard. And so if you can't tolerate discomfort, then you are not going to be able to like cope in your own environment, essentially in the environment that you've chosen. I think a lot of people sort of choose medicine when they're young and they don't have as much like life experience. And so those people really need to figure out how to handle, you know, both feelings of pleasure and feelings of aversion. And that's one of the lessons that the yoga practice teaches us, right? And so, yeah, I made them deal with a lot of aversion and then I would let them like have their, their pigeon pose, which is always like, I feel like everyone's like pleasure center in, in a, in a hot, sweaty class. It's like, yeah. Oh, when you, pigeon. when you feel guilty about, about yeah, exactly. something, you're like, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, I remember when I was doing a lot of Ashtanga thinking when something was uncomfortable, like a conversation, I'd be like, okay, just five breaths. <laughs> Like, okay, here's your three breaths. (laughs) I mean, if you can make yourself practice, it doesn't matter whether it's a shtanga or a sitting practice, right? Like Jason Bowman is, I am like so grateful to call him one of my teachers. And, you know, like thinking about him sitting still for like two hours a day is probably harder than a shtanga, right? So whatever it is that you do, doing it every day is the hardest part. Um, And I, but I think that at some, the great thing, so at the same time, the great thing about doing something every day is that it gets easier. 
Mm-hmm. So right now, and I am, I've done Ashanga every day this week because I'm finally strong enough after three weeks to do it. And, you know, it's like, if I can get to Marie Chiasana D, which is about half primary, if I can get there without a lot of resistance for myself, I'm like, yes, <laughs> like, this is a great day. Like, how did I get here already? Right. So there's some days when it's so easy, like, even if like not stepping on your mat, like it might still be hard, but once you're there, things go quickly. And then some days like today, well, partly cause like the world is on fire. I just, I could barely get to Marie in a D, right? And that's like one thing I love about Eddie Stern's teaching is like a lot of times when he teaches, he teaches like this, first of all, half primary, half intermediate. And this is a little like too Ashtanga nerdy and I won't get too into it, but like intermediate is second series is like back bends and then, uh, first series for bends. So it's so nice to do half and half because it's like the perfectly balanced practice, but he teaches that. And when he teaches it, he doesn't have you do vinyasas in between sides. So like, you'll do like Janusha Sasana A on, you know, on your right and then on your left, and then you do the jump through and then you go to Janusha B. And it's similar to what my teacher, when I used to practice up in New Hampshire, used to say, she'd be like, Sometimes you just want to like skip Johnny Shirsas in the B and C because you want to save energy for like your other parts of your practice. And she was like, okay with that. And so there's like ways to, in those days when getting to reach out in the D feels absolutely impossible to me. Like there are ways to make it possible. And I'm like, not so militant with myself that I think it's like a failure to skip Janu's Shirsasana B. Although <laughs> let me tell you, Janu's Shirsasana B is one of those poses that I could talk about for an hour because it's like the best way to lengthen from your sitting bones, like oh my gosh. to your lower back. My favorite hands down, all of them. I love Janu. I love them all. Like all of my children. <laughs> I do. <laughs> those are, they're just, they're wonderful shapes, like in so many yeah. different ways, like a twist, a forward fold. It's a little bit of core work. It stretches your hamstrings. There's literally, you can't ask There's for everything. anything else from a pose, but yeah. Oh my gosh. I forgot about having to go jump through and come back every side. <laughs> It's exhausting. But how like compassionate is is Eddie Stern to like <laughs> evolve the Ashtanga practice, which is like typically so um, militaristic, to be like, why are you doing this? Like, you know, like you don't need if you don't feel the need to do it, don't do it. Yeah, and can... that's just such a nice thing. Bring yeah, a little it's... we. Yeah, yeah, sorry. a little leeway, just a little leeway. <laughs> like we. I feel like we all just need to be more compassionate with ourselves in general and, and also come into things with a little bit more of a sense of humor. Like who, like literally the world seems to be, the democracy seems to be falling today. Like just for, for people's reference, like today is the day that all those people stormed the Capitol while they were trying to confirm Joe Biden. And it's like when the world is that crazy, whether or not I do Janu Shirsas in a B and C just seems completely irrelevant, right? In the <laughs> scheme of things. <laughs> like good for me for like being able to be here and do yoga at all. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's also your practice and your way of like dealing with the world when you are done practicing. So if that doesn't involve doing, you know, a another uh, vinyasa, then don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So what I do a lot of the time now when I'm practicing is, so I do like 
half primary and then I do sec I do like the first poses of second series super quick part of it is to like prepare myself for wheel pose because when you've done all of this forward folding I find it really hard to then just like turn myself inside out and so like the beginning of uh second series is like you'll do shalabhasana you do bekasana and you do um uh dandrasana and then you do this like Dandrasana variation that's so hard on your legs. And then you do, um, then you do Ustrasana and then you can like practice. For, I, I feel like I'm using a lot of Sanskrit. You, it's basically all the backbending poses. So it's like the, the um, like upward facing bow, but you know, when you're stretched out, I don't even know what that is. In it's English. like, just like belly backbends, yeah, bow like pose, Shalabhasana. Yeah, Shalabhasana, no one ever uses the English. I, yeah, think- I feel like. It's all yeah. the back bends. It's the one on your knees, the one on your belly. Yeah. Right. So I just do, but I don't do, I don't really do vinyasas between them. I'll do like an upward facing dog, maybe go to child's pose and then like just do the next one. And I don't always do all of them, but I do some variation of them. And so I've kind of like adapted the Ashtanga practice to like fit my needs now and like that might not be forever and it's definitely not traditional but I think that a lot of people are breaking from like the the staunch tradition in Ashtanga right now and and also by the way I, right, I was never like the Shala Ashtangi so like if I like cheat quote cheat or whatever it is like it doesn't really matter to me and it feels really good so I yeah, definitely look- skip a lot of vinyasas Luckily, there's no like blue ribbons for yoga. So like you can just do what you want because no one is going yeah, to like, like there's the no thing, trophy. Right? It's just like that's when you have as little free time as I have, like I have to enjoy that, right? I have to enjoy that experience because if I am not enjoying it, what the hell am I doing with my free hour, right? Right, for so. sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I I am... Um, I just want to talk to you about this, whatever. I don't even know if it's interesting, but my teacher right now, Sarah Strother, she doesn't really teach up dogs. She only teaches like big cobras. And I have to say, I love it. I feel like I get so much more opening and I use my legs more actually. Um, I don't know. I'm like really- And use your arms more. I do find it harder because when your arms are a little bit bent, you get this like tricep engagement that's really nice. But I think that, so- if you're the type of person who's like me, listener that has low back, like sort of instability and then upper back tightness, a really good workaround is to do that big old Cobra because you can like solidify your pelvis into the earth, keep it there and then just find the bend from the upper vertebra. It's so nice. I totally, I love that idea. Do you bend your knees in that cobra? Are you thinking king cobra or you have your feet on the ground and you're like pushing your feet down, toes untucked? You put your feet, push your feet down, push your thighs down, push. I even push my pelvis down and I do that. You might not need to do that because you don't have back pain. But as someone who's experienced back pain, I just try to only bring the back bend into my upper back. So I even press my pelvis down and then try to bend from that. Oh, that's interesting. That sounds like it would feel good. Yeah. So that's a really nice, and the other thing, so one thing that my teacher is like really into right now with me is like always this bent knee stuff. And when we're doing the chair, so when you do like the chair yoga, and I think in Katona in general, she'll be like, nothing is too precious. Like, don't be too precious about it. So like she'll have this, she'll do this thing where we go from like tuck toed up dog 
to down dog, but the down, you always have your knees bent in the down dog, which is like, you know, rubbing my tummy and patting my head because it doesn't feel like natural yet. But what I've realized from that is like, if you do have lower back stuff, um, it's really nice when you're coming back from upward facing dog or from Cobra to downward dog, roll over your knees or bend your knees. Because a lot of, I think what I take into my back is just like a lack of belly strength. So I like use my back to bring myself from upward facing dog to downward facing dog. And if you roll over the knees or you bend the knees, it forces you out of your lower back. You can't possibly use your lower back. You're using your quads and your glutes which is what I should be using. So that's a very intelligent, nice tip too. And I, I love that because it always feels really like animalistic. I feel like very like, (laughs) it's kind of nice. Yeah. And like, it's just nice to move your body in a different way. Like, why do we have to do the vinyasa the same way every time? It's so silly, right? Like these are the things that start to feel silly when the world gets really serious, right? Like when you're taking care of COVID patients, you're like, why does chaturanga matter in the (laughs) scheme of things, right? Like it only matters if it feels good to me or if it works for me in some way, but otherwise it's, it's irrelevant, right? The shapes themselves are meant to teach you something about yourself and teach you something about your body. And I don't think we should just avoid the things that make us uncomfortable. But if something that you do every time you do a vinyasa practice causes you pain, you should probably do it differently, right? Like you should like think of a way to fix it because life is too short to live in pain because of your practice. For sure. Yeah. I think it really like the yoga practice just gives you what you need when you need it. So like, it's all right because you know, sometimes what you need is structure and like you get into Ashtanga or, you know, like for me, I got into Ashtanga because what I needed was structure. And then sometimes you need the opposite and then you get into a different practice where it's a little, gives you some leeway. Like, I just think, I don't know, I, we could say this, we could probably sum up this whole conversation saying like yoga will do whatever you need it to do for you. Yeah. And you should do it in all the different ways. Like just like be a tourist in like the whole like world. Cause you know, chair yoga is structure too, right? It's just a different type. It's, but it is. And, And so, and like, and I think that in choosing it, like, I just feel so grateful to be in Boston and actually it wouldn't matter because their classes are on zoom, but like, I feel really grateful that I found this studio in Boston because they the teachers practice and they're they they are more advanced than me for sure and and they have so many interesting things to say and if I like want to nerd out about something then they let me and it's just it's so great and it's so nice Ashtanga was such a nice way for me to keep my practice when I was alone but having a yoga community again feels so good it's so nice that's great um I could literally, I mean, I know we both know we I could talk, talk forever, to, we, we could talk yeah. forever, but we should probably get going. Yeah. I don't want to know everyone like already turned off their, their, I mean, like, what I would be, about? I would be on the edge of my seat, but whatever <laughs> this podcast <laughs> is for me. Okay. It's for us. It's fine. Exactly. Um, and like crazy people like us. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're still here, we see you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, Olivia. You're I don't really feel like there's anything, any um, way for people to keep in touch with you because you're not a yoga teacher. So we'll just say, um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Can I say one thing? Yeah. I will plug Boston Yoga Union because I just feel like studios are suffering so much right now. And if you're looking for like a, a Katoni yoga practice or a chairs practice, or even like really great flows, like Tim does really great flows and he'll sometimes like pull out these like 
poses from like the back of light on yoga mm. and it's so fun yeah he's he's so inspired and a lot of the teachers there are really inspired so I will plug them because I really want them to survive and thrive and um and I I honor all of those like you know yogi owned businesses that are suffering right now for sure okay we'll definitely put that in the show notes and I'll definitely be checking out a class so yeah you should yeah. Chairs tomorrow at two o'clock. I'll see Ooh, you okay. <laughs> you can use your dining room chair. You don't need a fancy one. She like oh, adapts that's, it. That's good. To know. Yeah. So it doesn't need the hole in the back. No, I mean, you can, if you have one, great, but she, she'll do a class where you can use anything. Oh, that's very good to know. So chairs yeah. yoga tomorrow, two o'clock. See everyone there. Thank yeah, you so much, there. Olivia. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Well, if you made it this far through Olivia and I's detailed conversation about uh, the asana practice, then you must really like yoga. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was just remembering um, the way that Olivia and I got to be friends as we went to the same yoga studio. I, I taught there and she did teacher training there and blah, blah. And um, <laughs> I just remember her one day being like, we're going to be friends. And just like that was it. And I'm so glad she did that. Um, it's it, it's it goes to show like she just has like a lot of good instincts and she is brave enough to follow them. Um, the sutra today seems depressing, but I promise you it's not. So just like stay with me. We've gone this far. Like stay with me. Um, it's <laughs> Yoga Sutra uh, 215, which says change longing habits and the activity of the gunas gunas are like the activities of nature so change longing habits and the activities of the gunas can all cause us suffering in fact even the wise suffer for suffering is everywhere um and i'll tell you why i love the sutra because i i think so much i will compound my suffering with more suffering because when I suffer when something happens when I fall on my tailbone or when you know something doesn't go the way that I'd hoped instead of saying like oh this is you know this is unfortunate like I am in pain or I am you know I'm in emotional pain or physical pain or whatever I instead say I shouldn't have done this you know you like look back at the should have like I shouldn't have done this I I could have done that and you know I'm suffering and it's because of this or it's because of that or you know you blame people like oh I'm suffering because you hurt my feelings and you did this and what that does is just makes you suffer more whereas if you could just say like wow there is some suffering here like here I am like I am you know my I keep coming back my tailbone is hurting or like oh I am really upset that that relationship didn't work out or like oh you know I am so you know hurt that this that I didn't get this thing for my you know work that I really wanted and and of course it's good to like think about you know sort of what happened in the situation but to continually punish yourself or punish those around you because of suffering uh, isn't helpful at all. And I know that because I do it all the time. <laughs> it doesn't help anything. Um, so a lot of the time when something happens, I think this to myself, like, oh, even the wise suffer. Like, suffering is a part of life. And, like, it, it's not that you've done not necessarily that you or someone else has done something wrong like this is just an experience that humans have they suffer and here we are in this moment whatever it is suffering um 
yeah, and it doesn't mean you don't do anything to correct it. You know, if somebody is stepping on your foot, you can push them off your foot, obviously. Um, but that you don't need to go into a deep spiral of like, oh, they stepped on my foot because I was sitting there or like, oh, they stepped on their foot because they're a bad person. And let's talk, let's think a lot about their childhood or whatever. Like you, you can sort of take more control over the situation than that. Um, and I'm saying that to myself mostly. (laughs) Yeah. Even the wise suffer. Everyone does. Uh, it's just means you're alive. Um, so if you want me to write, if you want me to start working for your um, sympathy card company, <laughs> happy to. Just a card that says, even the wise suffer. Love, Rebecca. Um, yeah. So we'll end on that note. <laughs> uh, happy practicing. And I hope that you have a good week. Bye.